ask you to get your Bibles out to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. We'll begin reading there with the 14th verse. On down to the 26th verse. The key verses is verses 25 and 26, but I want to go ahead and lay the foundation for the sermon, and I'm going to go ahead and read the entire passage here of Luke 4, beginning in verse 14. <coughs> Do you have it? Luke 4.14 begins, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He's going back to where he's from. He's going back to where he started his ministry. Okay, back to his own country. He returns back to his own country, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And in a sense, like, I'm going back, I would go back to Santa Paula. I'd go back to my own place of where I was brought up. On the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him, and he began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, which was quite a statement. In other words, he's saying, Isaiah was writing about me. As he sits down. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And here's what I want to zero in on. So zero in on this verse here. I assure you, Jesus is saying, that there were how many widows? Many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Father, I pray that you, you take control of what we've put down here in paper already and utilize it for the furtherance of your gospel, the edification of your body, and the salvation of souls. We bless you and praise you because we know that you're a God that answers prayer. In Jesus' name, everybody together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I had entitled this sermon, uh, The Hostess with the Mostess. But then for Lenny's sake, since his mother is here, right? Your mother is here. God bless her. Amen. Being here, getting ready for Mother's Day. I changed it. And I called it Singled Out. All right. So I went from the hostess. Everybody's getting all their ministries plugged today. We may as well get the singles in. Uh, single, that's the name of the ministry that we have here for the singles. Okay? So I have entitled it Singled Out. In other words, this woman was singled out. She was the hostess with the most. We're going to find that out. But also, God singled her out for a reason, for a purpose. And God wants to single you out. Yes, he does. Uh, sitting amidst all these people, God can come and single you out. And I believe, he, and hopefully he'll do that to you today through this message, through this sermon. Because I've said before, as I'm speaking, there's another voice speaking. 
That's the main voice you need to hear, not just mine. Okay? Though I pray that I would do my best to speak for God, but there's another voice that you should be hearing when you hear these words. That's the voice of God. Here in Luke 4, we have a nameless widow woman. She was nameless, but still, she was known to Jesus. Nine centuries after her death, Christ himself brings her into remembrance. How many centuries after her death? Nine. God himself makes mention of her. 900 years later, millions upon millions of people had since that time passed the stage of life since her. Stay with me now. But hardly any were still known at all. Did you hear what I said? Millions of people had, had passed so for, during those nine centuries upon the face of this planet. But very few became famous or infamous. But she was still known. She was still a memory. People knew about her. See, somehow, this woman's memory had managed to survive. Not many other people had. Though millions of people had walked this planet. But not many people's memories still survived. Hers still did. There was something so great about her that the world was not allowed to forget about her. <clears throat> Wouldn't that be good if people knew that about you? Yes, it would. Come on now. Uh, the world could not forget her, and there was a reason for it. Even now, today, since the time that Jesus mentioned her, and 900 years had passed when he mentions her, 1,900 more years have passed. Actually, 20,000 more years. Uh, you know, 2,000 more years have gone by. All right? 20 more centuries have gone by. And she's still a part of immortality. Uh, a lot of people since that time have made their pitch for immortality. Many of you have, have acquired that status. Are you with me? Of, 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 of immortality. But her, she still keeps on ticking. Hallelujah. The Easter bunny ain't got nothing on this lady. Really. She's still ticking. She's never ready. Ah. Uh, she has survived the test of time. And we know, because a very famous poet quoted these words. What did a very famous poet quote before? A poem that all of you should already know by heart. The sun rises, the sun sets. Oh, how easy one forgets. Powerful poem written by a very powerful, powerful poet. It's going to be coming out on Dunamis, hallelujah, someday, you know. What a, what a poem. That, that poem really means that in one day you can forget all kinds of stuff. That's what that poem means. And how many tend to be forgetful? Ask my wife about her husband. Ah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. In one day, but nevertheless, I mean, you know, almost... 30 centuries have gone by since this woman walked on this planet and we're not still forgetting about her. She has managed to survive immortality. That's quite a feat. Uh, see, we don't want to forget this woman. To this very day and this very hour, she still brings us under her spell. Why? What causes this? Why do we still remember this nameless widow woman? Why is she so memorable? Well, for one... It's not because of her beauty. She could have very well been beautiful, the Bible doesn't say. But if she was, we're not told of that. So we're not, you know, uh, conscious of the fact of her, you know, being still around because of the, the fact that she was beautiful. She could have been Mrs. Arafat. I don't know. Then she's not remembered for her position. Okay, so we don't remember her because of her beauty. And then we don't remember her because of her position. We're not told if she was of royal blood. 
if she ran for the Senate of New York. We're, we don't know. We don't know if she was seeking high position. Nor if she was wealthy. We're not told that. Neither, my friend, do we remember her because of her wit and of her cleverness. She might have been, you know, brilliant of mind. But if so, this was not the case why she was mentioned here in God's word. Not at all. This woman is remembered because she played hostess to the greatest man of her day, of her time, and of her era. A man by the name of Elijah. That's why she's remembered. She's remembered because she was associated with the greatest personality of her day. Again, she was hostess to the mostest. Okay? Hostess with the mostest. She was wise enough to entertain uh, as her friend, as her guest, the prophet of God. Thus, my friend, though she remains nameless, she has become immortal by her association with the greatest prophet of her day. That's what made her immortal. But why was this woman chosen? Why of her of all people was she chosen to be the hostess with the mostest? To host this, this great man of God. Why of all people that were available? The Bible says that. It says of all the widows of her day. It says that's what Jesus is saying. We could have chose anybody. But why was she chosen? She was the one singled out. And she was a single mother. Ah, See... We ourselves would probably not have picked her. And even she herself, she would have never dreamed beyond her wildest dreams that she would be the one singled out by God himself. But there are two very definite, two very outstanding reasons why she was chosen. Let me give it to you very quickly. Number one, why she was chosen, and the Bible speaks about this, was because nobody else was willing to undertake the task. If you're taking notes, write that one down. She was chosen because nobody else no other widow woman, no other individual at all was willing to take on the task of tackling, of handling the prophet, Elijah. And when we give even a little thought to this, this reason, it can seem rather astonishing. I mean, the prophet Elijah, I've already made mention, was the main man of his day. And people of Israel, by and large, the Jewish people have always very, been very religious. They've always been conscious of, of, of religion. They have been deeply and earnestly a religious people. Thus, my friend, it would seem that, that you know, uh, any and all doors would be open to this man. They would gladly take on Elijah. Are you with me? Don't, don't let me lose you here. All right? It would seem like, man, I mean, they're religious people. There's an opportunity there, but nobody takes it. Only this widow woman. She's not afraid of the task. She's willing to take it on. And usually, it's people like that that God uses. Uh, it's not on my nose, but remember uh, 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 Rebecca? I have a sermon called the Rebecca Rebuke. Rebecca, hallelujah. Uh, when Rebecca was out trying to get water for her, for her family, uh, and then here comes the, the servant of, of, of Abraham looking for a husband for the son or looking for a wife for the son. Rebecca, something like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so what happens is, is the man says, give me some water. And she says, okay. She runs to the well and brings him some water. Thank God. Illustrated sermon. And then she says in Genesis, I will draw water for your camels also. 
It was a whole caravan of camels, about 20 of them. And one camel could drink 30 to 40 gallons of water per serving. That's a whole lot of shaking going on. Huh? That's a lot of water for these 12, 20 camels, whatever, you know, this caravan. But usually, that's why I call it the Rebecca rebuke. Because sometimes ladies are more willing to work hard for God than men. That's just the way it is. You go to any victory, first starting off, by and large, it's usually the ladies that are right there. The men are kicking back. I don't know. What are the people going to think about me? Women don't give an oliase. They don't care. Uh, they, they, well, they, God's touched their lives. Let's go for it, man. You, you know, they don't care what they think about them. They know who they are, but men are real cool, you know. They don't know who they are. They're, you know, they're just figuring it out, you know. Hey, but what are they going to think, man? I'm going to a church, eh? You know, I'm supposed to be big and bad. <laughs> you already snitched on yourself. Supposed to be. That means you're not. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what happened over here? It, it's difficult. But this Rebecca, she didn't care. She says, I'm going to draw water for your camels also. Those are the kind of people God uses. You want to be used of God? That's the way this woman was. She was singled out. Uh, because she didn't care. She went ahead and, and, and lived. She gladly opened her doors to God. Uh, yet, my friend, according to scripture here, there was not a home in all of Israel that would open its doors to the prophet Elijah. None. Now, why wouldn't they do that? Well, I believe the reason they wouldn't do this is because, first of all, Elijah was in bad standing with the authorities. That happened to be Ahab, who was a terrible king, and a lady by the name of Jezebel. Uh, but nevertheless, they were the king and the queen of the land. So he was in bad with the authorities. He had fallen into the royal wrath of the king and the queen. Ahab and the infamous Jezebel. Now, while Ahab was a weak and wicked king, Jezebel was a strong and wicked queen. You study their life. Ahab was weak, but he was wicked. She was strong, but she was wicked as well. See, Jezebel worshipped gods from the land that she had come from, okay, which happened to be Sidon and Zarephath as well, okay. And she hated and she despised the God of Israel and anybody that served him. But she was married to Ahab, okay, who was a king of the, during the region there in, in Israel during that time. So when Elijah marches in from Gilgal and he points out the king and queen's sins and their errors, instead of honoring this and repenting, they get worse. They get worse. Uh, that's what happens when you preach the gospel. Either people are going to get better or they're going to get worse. There's no gray areas. They're either going to hate you or they're going to love you. I mean, so many people love our ministry, but so many people don't. Why? Because we tell it like it is. In love, and we try to be real discreet and nice, but hey, sin is sin, you're going to go to hell. You know, forgiveness is forgiveness, you're going to go to heaven. That's it. No gray areas. Uh, and so what happens here is Jezebel and Ahab, they hate, and they get worse. Instead of, you know, instead of, uh, you know, hating their disease and trying to do something about it, which is called sin, they turn on the doctor. Did you hear what I said? See, the doctor, Elijah, comes and tells him, hey, listen, you've you're, you got a disease called sin. Get right or get left. And they, instead of doing what they're supposed to do, they hate the doctor. Can't hate the doctor for trying to help you. Uh, but that's what happened here. Elijah was forced to run and to flee, to be a man on the run. In other words, Elijah, listen to this, he had warrants out for his arrest. <clears throat> he had warrants out because he had fallen under the wrath 
of royalty of that day under the authorities. Uh, and naturally, and likely, nobody was willing to open their doors to this man. Okay, so he's got a, a warrant, so nobody wants to deal with him. Secondly, the second reason the doors weren't open in Israel to, to the greatest prophet that, of his day was because times were hard. There was famine in the land. Uh, they didn't, there was a drought in the land. Uh, there was, they would fall under hard times. Everybody was forced to fiend for themselves. Economizing was the order of the day. Are you with me? Stay with me now here in the sermon. Okay, they're over here and they're saying there's an economy. We, we can't take everybody in. Times are hard. It's not easy right now. So they couldn't really take them in. It meant another mouth to feed. Then thirdly, the reason doors were all shut to Elijah was because a good number of people, okay, within that country, many of them, they had very little appreciation, according to the scripture, and look for, for the prophet Elijah. Very few people appreciated him. A prophet is not unwanted except in his own country. People, that's what's happening. He was in Capernaum healing people. Everybody was taking him in. Jesus of Nazareth is going about doing good. Come on, Jesus. Everybody loved him until he came back to his hometown. Uh, in Capernaum and all those other regions, they loved him. But when he came back into the region of Galilee and back into his hometown, uh, he was not with any honor. See, familiarity breeds, what is, a, what is what? Contempt. And most of these people held Elijah in contempt because they were very familiar with him. Very familiar. Uh, he was a regular town folk person to most of them. That's why sometimes, you know, they say, how can Pastor Steve acts the way he acts? I'm going to tell you a little secret about me. Uh, because, hey, listen, I, you know, I just can't be any... Chum, uh, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry, too. I can't. For one, I'm your spiritual father. I should be. Uh, and then another thing, I got to speak for God, and I got to be very careful. Uh, I just can't be hanging out with the fellows all the time, though I love doing it. Uh, but no, no, because if you just, oh, that's just Pastor Steve. Wow, all right, fine and dandy. Uh, but that means you won't, you won't listen to what I have to say. So we got to be very discreet, very, very, very careful. Uh, that's what happened here with Jesus. That's what happened with Elijah. It's just Elijah. Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, you get to know him real good. That's why I've even seen it with Pastor Sonny. People, oh, they want to hang around chummy chummy with Pastor Sonny. And they get real familiar with him and they forget that he's the founder of our ministry. Uh, you gotta you gotta be careful, you gotta be you know, under what he has to say, be very, very careful. And that's what had happened here. Uh, Bible says he's the son of Joseph. In other words, I knew your dad. Who do you think you are, Stevan? Ah, uh, man, who, you know, I, I know I knew your dad. We know who you are. Familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, he wasn't all that wanted in his own country. To many of these people, he was a crude, rude kid who only wanted attention. I know why you do all those miracles. You just want attention. I know why you're healing the sick. You just want to be the center of, of everybody's fancy. Uh, you're always stirring up the waters. See, never content, so they held him in contempt. That's what happened here. See, actually, Elijah, this is this, he was a mountain of a man. But they thought he was just another person, another one of them. But he was, what did I say he was? A mountain of a man. See, if you want to see a molehill, an anthill, you got to get up real close to it. But if you want to see a mountain, you got to back off. You got to check it out. Ooh, the wonders of the mountain. But when you get up close to something, you know, uh, you can't really see it. 
So that's what had happened to them. They were getting up close to a mountain, but they didn't even know it. They, we know this guy. No, they didn't. In order to really see a mountain, you got to back off a little bit. But they were very close to this mountain. Are you with me? They had gotten too close to Jesus. So to them, he was just another, another one of the fellas. Jesus can never be just one of the fellas. Uh, he's got to be Lord of all or not at all. But to them, he wasn't. That's what it says here. Familiarity breeds content. They had a false view of who he was. Matter of fact, at the time when Jesus uses the illustration of this widow woman, he was using this story to highlight and to parallel Elijah with his very own life, with the plight of himself. See, just as Elijah was not received, neither was he. Because he as well, like Elijah, had gotten too familiar for the people to really see who he was. Ah, that's why, they, that's why he wasn't well received. Ah, nah, not too many people received Elijah, not too many people received Christ. Then, not only was this widow woman courageous enough to take on the task, but she was also, she demonstrated a really, really heavy, faithful willingness that nobody else in that region or in that country or in that city had. She was willing to take on harboring a fugitive, you might say, because that's what she was doing. When everybody else was unwilling, she was willing. That's all. Nobody else wanted anything to do with Elijah. He was a man on, on the run, a prophet on the run. He had an APB out on him. Oh, no, got to stay away from him. He's got the cooties. Uh, but not this woman. She wasn't afraid. When all others were unwilling, she was willing. Uh, the widow woman was the risk, risk taker. Those are the kind of people that are going to make history. Risk takers. Uh, going to take a risk. Those are the kind of people that are going to get known. She knew, no doubt, the penalty of harboring a fugitive. But she did it nonetheless. She didn't waver. Then also, this woman was from Sidon, the very place that Jezebel was from. Are you with me? She was from the hometown of Jezebel. She knew all about Jezebel and the wrath of Jezebel. I mean, if there's any woman in, in, in all the Bible, chronicled in God's word, that you know about that was too much. I mean, doesn't that name Jezebel just get to anybody? Even if you're just a baby in the Lord, Jezebel, Jezebel, ooh, Jezebel. And right away, you're, you know, all you, you, you picture in your mind all kinds of makeup and, you know, long fingernails uh, and silk. Uh, Jezebel, the Jezebel spirit. Huh? Well, this little woman was from Jezebel's hometown. She was from Sidon. So she knew what she was getting into. She knew what she was placing herself, not in blessings way, but in harm. And she still didn't care. Uh, she, in other words, Jezebel might have been bad, but she was real bad. Jezebel's famous, infamous. This woman is famous. Because she took on Jezebel and everybody else on the way. That's why she's known. Uh, she, was, she was in, 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 in you know, in, how, how could you say it? She was in the same position spiritually as Jezebel. And Jezebel's known like the devil incarnate. Oh, uh, really? Uh, but she wasn't afraid of her. She exhibited faith. She knew all about the fear that Jezebel brought on her enemies. She knew that, but she, was, she didn't care. She didn't fear. She didn't waver. She didn't give in to fear's enemy. Uh, she still exhibited risk and she exhibited faith. Though she knew the fury that Jezebel could unleash. She knew that, but she didn't care. 
Huh? She matched Jezebel. How could you say it? Fingernail, fingernail. Uh, not toe to toe, but fingernail, fingernail. I ain't afraid of you. Uh, I fear God. I'm going to fear a woman with all that lipstick. Hallelujah. Huh? Then also, plus, she took Elijah in when she had another mouth to feed. Her son. And we already said it was very tough economic times. There was a famine in the land. There was, there was, there was you know, a drought in the land. But she took him on even when she had another mouth to feed, her own child. Which speaks to the fact, my friend, that she was putting even her own beloved son's life in jeopardy. That's heavy. When I was thinking about this and putting this sermon together, I said, man, that, that's victory outreach. And I'm going to tell you why. <clears throat> I mean, it's like, by that I mean like, like people that run a men's or women's home and they have their own family. They already have their own children to feed. Ah, Reuben and Anthony and all those people, you know. And yet they take on a home. They bring their own children into the home. Uh, but they're, they're not afraid. I mean, we lived in the home for three and a half years. Uh, when, the, when the people were coming against us, they didn't want a, a rehab next to them or whatever. What did we do? Those of you that went to the hearing. What I did is I'm talking to them and I said, okay, Stephanie, come on up. Honey child. Uh, and you talk to these people. And I said, and I want you to know, as she comes up here to talk behind this mic, she is the president, student body president of Fremont Christian Junior High School. Head on, girl. Uh, and she lived in the men's home for three and a half years. And you know what? She turned out pretty good and going to get gooder. As quiet as it's kept, Stanford. Uh, and man, how many were there? You know, man, that was so powerful. I still remember. She started, she started crying. She says, if it wasn't for the home, I wouldn't be alive. And I said, ooh, that's deep. <laughs> but it's right. She says, if it wasn't for the men's home, I wouldn't be here today. My mom and dad would have never met. She says, but I'm here because of the men's home. But yeah, people are going to turn their backs. So they don't care too much about that. Uh, all they want to be is left alone. They don't really, you know, they're not real philanthropists, of which I'm trying to get at today. That's, that's the whole brunt of my sermon here today. Philanthropy, doing good for people. That's the way this widow woman was. Uh, she cared. She even came against the wrath of, 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 of the authorities of that day. So what a woman that we're dealing with here. Risk-taking and a risk-taker with faith for the things of God. That's what it's all about. A risk-taker mixed with faith. All for the honor and glory of God. Why would this widow woman take such willing risks why my friend was she so willing to 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 host and to entertain this prophet when everybody else wouldn't do that well see she was a woman possessed of great kindness kindness there's a lot of kind people in this planet even in prison don't go there but i've been there prison has some pretty nice guys kind people ah uh, they'll give you an extra pack of bugler uh, they'll give you oh brother you want a pack of camels here Nice guys, kind guys. Uh, none, a lot of, the world is full of kind people. But she exhibited great kindness. Uh, because, you know, those, what she did, there are times when to be kind is far more heroic than going off to war in a battlefield. Listen to what I just said there. Such was the case here. 
When someone is hungry, they tend to be very obnoxious and very mean-hearted. Ever seen a hungry person? How do you handle a hungry man? The man handlers. The man with sandwich. Right, ladies? I mean, when your viejo gets home, when your honey gets home, feed the, the animal. Because if not, dun, 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 dun. yeah, I want some food. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, then after he burps a few times, I love you, vieja. You're the greatest, vieja, this side of the pickles, like Pastor Steve says, and that side of the pickles. Give me the channel check. You know, I'm ready for the night now. Uh, but if you don't feed that hungry animal, uh, it's be cruel, cruelty time. Uh, can they get obnoxious? Well, he was living under the time of a famine. There was very little food. Uh, I mean, there was, it, it was difficult to be kind. But she was great. She exhibited great kindness. You know, I was thinking also about the Arabians and the Muslims and all that. And the communists from times past. These people, they exhibit great, great uh, courage. They'll even die for their comrade. Uh, Oh, I'll die. Because that happens. The Muslims will die for them, for their com comrades. They'll even take hostages in the Philippines to try and get their comrades free. I want my, 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 my fellow Arabians, my fellow Muslims, I want them free. They'll take great risks. They'll show kindness to one another. But to show kindness to their enemies, they won't do that. They'll kill you. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. They'll kill you. Because they don't know you and they don't care about you. This woman didn't know Elijah from Adam. He wasn't of her race. He wasn't of her nationality. But she still exhibited great kindness. And why do you think the story of the Good Samaritan gets everybody right here? Because he was of an outcast. Uh, he, was a, he wasn't a, a Jew. But yet he exhibited kindness. That's why that story gets everybody whenever it's preached throughout the planet. Man, I, I can't wait till some victorious people go into Iran and Iraq and start preaching about the Good Samaritan. That day's going to come. You might have to take a bullet or three. But that's love. That's kindness. That's courage. Really? Talk about courage? That's real courage. Uh, man, anybody can preach the gospel in America. But go to these other countries where we're going to go some days. Uh, that's not going to be easy. Some of you are going to go. Some of us. I'll drop you off. We're ascending church. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Step on it. Uh, Leave her here. Hallelujah. Usually the ladies with the guts anyways. Uh, <laughs> uh, see, that's what happened here. She exhibited great kindness to somebody she didn't even know. She didn't have to do that. But nevertheless, she did. That's why she's a, in history today. That's why she's still immortalized today. She was willing to do that. Uh, see, this woman, in the face of a number of ills, including hunger, she didn't care. And she was hungry. She, was, she could have been obnoxious. Say, Forget about this guy. She didn't do that. Uh, she went ahead and she went through all her barrier. Her, her kindness broke all kinds of barriers. Race barriers. Uh, all, you know, financial barriers. She didn't care. Uh, now also, not only was this woman possessed with great kindness that many waters could not quench, but she also had great insight. See, she knew who Elijah was. She had insight. She said, this is a man of God. I'm going to take care of this man of God. Well, other people couldn't see that. They yeah, he's a man of God, but we don't care. She cared. Uh, I mean, just like the last sermon regarding that I preached about Ezra. 
What do we talk about? Here lies opportunity. It didn't make it because nobody would take it. What a great title. Uh, long old title, but I like that title. Here lies opportunity. Uh, it's dead. Buried and stinky. It's in the grave. It didn't make it because nobody would take it. This woman did. This woman did. Why do you think God has been preaching sermons like this to you and to us? Because uh, we have an opportunity. We have great opportunities. We want to seize the hour. We want to seize them. We want to seize the opportunity. Memorable, memorable times. Uh, and this church is headed in that direction. We're already there, but we want to keep going. Uh, we can't stop here. Dale gas. Hallelujah. Keep going. Let's go. Put it full throttle. Let's go on. Uh, that's what was happening. This woman took the opportunity. Uh, she still was kind and she was still, how, let me see if I wrote the word correctly, philanthropic. I'm probably wrong, uh, but I'll put it down, philanthropic. In other words, she was into philanthropy. She was willing to help people. Uh, that's, that, that, that's what happened here with her. See, this widow woman was a woman of great faith. The account of her life is in 1 Kings 17. And it shows her great faith displayed in 1 Kings 17. Uh, see, her actions there not only point, uh, uh, you know, put, her, you know, put her own life on the line, but she puts the life of her son on the line. Are you with it? Did you hear what I said? She put her own life on the line against Jezebel and Ahab and all that stuff. But not only her own life, she puts her own son's life on the line. Again, just like a lot of our people do when they work in the rehab homes. They put their own children's life on the line. Uh, she heard the prophet's request. First Kings 17 talks about she believed it. Then she trusted the prophet and she trusted God. That's what happened. Okay. And what was the outcome? What was her rewards? Well, when she received Elijah and his word, she also received the God of Elijah. That's what she received. And that God took good care of her. How many know that God's going to take good care of you? Amen. See, she received, as an outsider, a Gentile, she receives Elijah, his word, as God's word, but she receives all that he has as well. Just like Rahab, the harlot. That's what happened with her. When she gave a glass of water to a prophet, she received a prophet's reward. I don't know who poured this here today, but they have my reward. Uh, that's what the Bible says. When you give a glass of water to a prophet, you have a prophet's reward. That's why every time we have prophets and preachers come in here, we pick up love offerings for them, we enter into their reward. That's what you're doing. Uh, can we time Pastor Richard comes over here? He gets good love offerings. I know. Huh? But you enter into the Manila reward. When Darryl, you enter into the Manila reward, San Pedro de Laguna. Uh, when we have speakers from Indonesia come over here, not only do you get blessed, but you get to enter into their blessings when you give love offerings. The, the blessings that are happening in Indonesia, you enter into that. And thank God for that. Ah, she enters into Elijah's ministry. See, church, as you and I, when we give to provide the necessities of those in ministry, wherever they might be, we enter into the rewards. See, Elijah needed to be taking care of his necessities. He needed to go to nations. Because he had to keep breathing. Because he was out to do great exploits for God. Miracles. I mean, you know, what do you think prophets, you know, live on air? No, they need preaching. Hallelujah. Oh, my God, I broke my button. How many need a 
Prophet's reward. I need a button. Hallelujah. Enter in my reward. Praise the Lord. And my reward gets bigger every day. Hallelujah. <laughs> But that's what happens. They were setting the stage, meeting his necessities. That's what he asked the widow woman. He says, give me some tortillas. That's what he says. Not only some water, he says, but I want some meal. Maybe and she says, man, but I'm going to go die right now. And he tells her, no, but first make me a tortilla. Then after that, you make some for you and your son. And she does what he asked. And the Bible says her jar never, and her jug never went dry for three and a half years. Because she entered into the prophet's reward. That's what happens when you do. When you give, when you are involved in philanthropy, helping people, you enter into their reward. And we need to understand that. Ah. When you and I hear the knock of God upon the door of our hearts, and we open our hearts to help other people, we become a hostess to the mostest. I hope you understood what I said there. And who's the mostest? God. Jehovah God. When he asks us to help, of which he's going to do a lot of times, and we, when we do help people, we enter into God's reward. Ah, See, this is a church that believes in mixing risk and faith, kindness and insight that this woman had. Uh, and truly, we will have our reward. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. That was the outcome. See, will we, Victor H. Hayward, will we be a church that will be remembered like this woman? We have that opportunity. We have that opportunity. Uh, that's what this widow woman decided to do. She says, I want to get involved in this. I want to be a part of this stuff. Uh, man, she saw the, the, the opportunity to get involved when the prophet came knocking on her door. She opened the door. She says, other people might not do that, but I'm willing to do that. Other churches may not have homes for men, and other churches might not have homes for women. We're going to do it. Other churches, man, did you hear our announcements today? I don't know how you did because there were so many. But this is a church involved. This is a church doing stuff. Uh, when you enter into that, then you have that reward. That ministry's reward, that prophet's reward, that church's reward. Uh, can we're willing to do that. Uh, can, you know, our tribe will increase, people will get saved. But I mean, this is a church that, I mean, it's faith. But we are getting known different parts of the world, uh, different places. Why? Because of our giving, our willingness to do. That's why this woman is still recognized and known today. Because when nobody else, Jesus says here, was willing to open the doors, she was chosen. Because she was a risk taker. When nobody else would take on the task, she says, hey, I'll do it. Get out of the way. If no other person wants to get involved. But you, you have a son already. You, you, you can't be giving away tortillas. You need them. She says, no, I'll do it. If that's what God wants, that's what God's going to get from me. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. It is more blessed to give than to receive, the Bible says. The Bible don't lie. We need to put ourselves in opportunities to be used of God. This widow woman, and let me tell you something. This widow woman, the Jews would even look at their own women as dogs. They considered a woman of their own heritage, of their own culture, of their own nationality as equal with dogs. She wasn't even a Jewish woman. She was less than a dog to most Jewish men. But she didn't let that keep her down. And today, 29 centuries later, when she walked on this planet, her memory still is alive and well and being used of God. What about your life? 
Do you want to be remembered in your own family, in your own household, in your own city, in your own world? You can. You can. Just following the steps of this woman. She was a philanthropist. Not a philanderer, a philanthropist. She gave of herself. She had great faith, great kindness that many waters could not quench. That's what the Bible speaks about. There's a love that no waters can quench. She went toe-to-toe and nail-to-nail with Jezebel. And she didn't let Jezebel get the better end of her. Jezebel, known as the devil of her day, this woman outshined that Jezebel. So can you, so can I. As every head is bowed in your right, I want to pray for those people here today. Say, you know what, I, I want to be used more of God. Less of me and more of him. I want to put myself in blessings way. Even if it means putting myself to the world's harm and harm's way. Because that's what this woman was willing to stake. Not only put her own life on the line, but her son's life on the line. Wow. All for God. Is every head is bowed in the miraculous spirit of God moving in ministry. You're saying, Brother Steve, I, I don't believe I've been doing enough for God like I should. And I want to. I want to leave a mark and a memory as a heritage on this planet with my life. I want purpose. I want meaning. If that's you, if every head is bowed and every eye closed, pray to God, moving and ministering. And you want me to pray for you here this, this evening. I'm going to ask you very quickly to stand your feet right there where you're at. Let me pray for you. Very quickly, God, minister to your life. Challenge your life.